0: Pastor here at Third Presbyterian Church. Third Pres has been a part of the downtown Birmingham community since 1884, and we still today hold to the historic, classic Christian faith. We're glad you've been watching, but we would love to have you join us one Sunday in person. Please see our website for our Sunday morning service times, and I hope to meet you soon. Reading of God's Word from Romans chapter 5. And while you're turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, the children are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson. Romans chapter 5, reading verses just 1 and 2 today. In your pew Bibles, it's page number 942. I've been preaching through the book of Romans. This is sermon number 23. The theme of Romans is that the gospel, the good news, is the power of God for salvation. And in that gospel, in that news, that good news, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's what we see in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Now, you may say, well, okay, well, what is exactly the gospel? The gospel, it's, it's, a, it's a big concept. And just to narrow it down and say, at a minimum, what it is, is that Jesus justifies sinners. At a minimum, that, that's, where it, that's where it would start. Jesus justifies sinners. It's more than that. The kingdom of God and Jesus as Lord and things of that nature that expound upon that idea. But but it, at, a, at a minimum, again, it's the idea that Jesus makes justification standing before God possible for sinners like me and you. I'll certainly say more about that here in just a minute. But from Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse uh, 1, reading verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from this Your Word. We pray through Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Many years ago now, I was uh, working as an assistant um, pastor at Trinity Presbyterian Church in Montgomery, Alabama, where Maxwell Air Force Base is. Some of you have probably spent some time at some point in your life at Maxwell Air Force Base. And um, the commandant of the Air War College uh, is, uh, uh, his, his dad, his, his name is Bentley Rayburn. His anyway, big PCA family, and um, and so Bentley was in at Trinity at that time when I was there, and uh, he was the second in command. That's what it meant at that time, at least to be the commandant of the Air War College. We we're second in command at Maxwell Air Force Base. So a pretty big deal. Uh, Major General uh, Rayburn is who that was, and so he said to me one day, let's uh, let's have lunch. Come over to the to the base, and we'll go into the officers' quarters or whatever it's called, and. And we'll have lunch. I was like, "Great, sounds good." So I drive up in my old beat-up Honda Accord, and uh, and I and I say to the security guards there that um that I was here to have lunch with uh, General Rayburn, and the guy was like, "Yeah, right." So what what do you need? Well, no, I'm I'm having lunch with uh, with Bentley Rayburn, and and anyway, it it went on and on. They didn't believe me, and uh, they said, "Pull over into that parking lot over there." And so I did and pulled out my flip phone, which was the first flip phone I ever had, you know, first cell phone I ever had. And I called him. I said, well, I'm having a little trouble getting in. You know, they they weren't quite so sure about me, I guess. He said, no problem. I'll I'll be right there. He comes driving up and and, uh, stops there at the guard, uh, at the gate. And uh, when he got out of the car, I mean, they, you know, they jumped to and clicked heels together and were doing everything all, you know, getting everything all squared away, as they say in the military. And um, he wasn't kind to him. He wouldn't yell. I didn't hear him, you know, yelling. I was a little bit of a distance away. But then he came over and got me and said, follow me over here. And it was great. It was one of those. It was one of the first times I realized, you know, uh, having a good relationship with a very important person, it really reaps some nice benefits. <laughs> We go into the officer's quarters of, and, uh, and he's got his own table. He's got a, you know, a little name tag on his table. That's his table. Nobody's to sit there except for him and, and his guests. It was wonderful. There are some real benefits to uh, knowing uh, people in high places at times. That's, in a sense, what Paul is talking about here. In chapter 1, verses uh, chapter th- 3, verse 20, uh, Paul talks about man's need for justification or that is an ability to stand before God in with, in righteousness. Because without Christ, without that righteousness, we stand before Him unrighteous, unholy, sinful. And so he spends chapter 1 verses uh, through ch- chapter 3, verse 20, talking about our need for justification. And then in chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter um, to 4, he really talks about uh, the way of justification, really explaining how it is that God has provided for man and his uh, sinful condition. Now in chapter 5, he starts talking about the benefits of that justification or the consequences, you might say, the blessings of being justified, that justification that we have. Now, some of you are, I know, kind of new to to church life, to Christianity, even still still maybe just kind of checking it out to see if it's something you ever might want to uh, follow. So I've thrown out this $3 word, justification, to you. What is justification? Our Westminster Shorter Catechism says that justification is an act of God's free grace whereby He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight, pushes away all of our sin, and gives us a righteousness that we could never earn. It's an act of God's free grace whereby He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. You can't work it up on your own. It has to be granted to you. In a sense, the righteousness of Christ is given to you. And we receive that by faith alone. That's what justification is. For those who follow Christ, it is something that has happened... In the past, for you. It is accomplished. Now, we receive it, that justification, by faith when we believe. Some of you probably have what we sometimes refer to as a Damascus road type experience. And that comes from, the, from Acts chapter 9. We read about St. Paul. Before he was St. Paul, he was uh, enemy Paul. He was an enemy of God, an enemy of Christians. And he goes traveling to Damascus. And he's seeking to to persecute Christians, and the Lord meets him on that road to damascus he's he, one minute he's an enemy of God, the next minute he is a friend of God through Christ, and so we refer to that sort of dramatic experience as a Damascus road experience, and some of you have that others of you it's really kind of a slow burn, and you you've been raised in the church and you have been singing the hymns of the faith for all your life and and you've been praying the Lord's Prayer all of your life and so you might not know exactly when you had that sort of justification experience. I always remind folks it doesn't so much matter that you know exactly when and where and how this justification experience happened in your life. What's important is that you know that it has happened in your life. Because Jesus said we must be born again. And that's the idea here. That's what happens through the justification experience or act of God. The late Frank Barker, who planted and pastored Briarwood Presbyterian Church for, I guess, about 40 years, he used to talk about uh, justification with this illustration. He said, um, it reminded us that, uh, of the truth. There were three men uh, crucified uh, the day Jesus was crucified, Jesus and, and two others. Uh, the two others, uh, um, uh, robbery, thieves, that that kind of thing. So you got the three men on the cross there that day. One was Jesus. Uh, one was a criminal who mocked Jesus initially, but then repented and believed in Christ. And then you had one who mocked Jesus initially and continually and never came to faith in Christ while he was dying there on the cross. And so... Um, Reverend Barker would talk about how we the way we can understand sin and this idea of justification the criminal who never repented he had sin both in him and on him meaning that sin that's in him it's a part of uh, of, of human nature it's what we would all what we all have and so it's in him and it's also on him in the sense of it's hanging over him it's like a like a dark cloud kind of hanging over someone and so the criminal who never repented had sin both in him and on him with jesus it became on him but it was never in him our sin was given to him that's why sin was on jesus first corinthians he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, so it was on him, but it was never in him. The criminal who repented and believed in Jesus after initially mocking him, it was in him because it was a, he 's still a human being, he still had that sinful nature, but it was no longer on him. it was no longer covering him. it was no longer like that dark cloud following him around that 's what justification is for us as human beings in this world on this side of heaven. Sin is in us still because of the sinful nature, but it's no longer on us because that was transferred to Christ. That's justification. Now, that's really just review. So let me jump into the passage here and let us consider the three benefits that I mentioned of this justification. Number one, peace with God. Peace with God. Verse 1 reads, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Which that makes sense, doesn't it? Because Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace. Now, this is not the peace of God. The peace of God would be subjective, sort of an inner sense, an inner feeling. This is peace with God. Which is extremely important because just as Paul was an enemy of God, as he was seeking to persecute Christians, you and I, we all are born enemies of God. We're born at enmity with God. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how we are children of wrath. Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. And so we need reconciliation. We need the wrath of God removed. We need this friendship with God and the gospel, which again is the theme of Romans, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, it does that. It, it says that's possible, that Jesus paid for our sin. He gives us clothes of righteousness. He puts his righteousness on us. In the Christian, the war between God and man is over. Therefore, again, since we have been justified by, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. R.C. Sproul uh, uh, has gone to be with the Lord, but until just a few years ago, he was uh, very active as a Presbyterian minister, doing a lot of teaching. Many of you have heard his, his name. Um, he is a prolific author, great Bible teacher. And he tells a story about how when he was a, a boy uh, growing up uh, in his early years in Chicago... He was out in the street playing stickball one day and um, all of a sudden the, uh, the women of the, of the homes came out onto the, onto the outside of their homes standing on the front porch and they, they, were, they were yelling with excitement. They were celebrating. They had pots and pans. They were banging them together and they were saying the war is over. The war is over. The war is over. And of course that was reference to World War II. Victory Day. The war is over because of the work of Christ for those who rest in Christ and find their life in Christ and surrender their will to Christ. And that's what's needed to be at peace with God is a surrendering, a laying down of your arms, allowing yourself to be captured by Christ. That's the way to peace with God. You'll, you, you have to admit it, we're consumed with it. We all want this peace. I, mean, I just did a, I mean, you know, 30-second Google search about peace, and you know, these were the first things that popped up. Sixteen ways to find peace of mind. How to find your inner peace. Six steps toward lasting serenity. I mean, it's, we're, we're consumed with this kind of idea. And sure, some of those might be helpful a little bit, but the reality is they're not based on Scripture, those articles. They speak of an inner peace, and we certainly need that. But we have to have, get this, we have to have peace with God before we can ever have the peace of God. It has to work in that order. And so, you know, these, these, uh, these types of articles that, that's not really based on Scripture, not based on the Bible, but they're never going to really reach down deep. It's never going to last. And you see it in the world. There, there are wars um, in the 20th century alone: World War One, then World War Two, then the Korean, uh, the, the Korean War, and then the Vietnam War, and then the Gulf War, and now we've got war between in in Ukraine, and we have war in Israel. I mean, it's just constant, never ending. Martin Lloyd Jones was a was a, a great. Um, a, preacher in London Uh, he was a medical doctor before he came into the ministry and he used to talk about how there's a a type of counterfeit peace and he said there are two characteristics of counterfeit peace one is that it's just shallow and and, and glib it it lacks depth of of any of any real uh, sort and you know it's the idea that when bad things happen the shallow peace just says oh it'll be all right you know no big deal. It'll work out, and that, that sounds, you know, kind of nice and all. But that's just kind of a shallow, um, a sense of peace. And and also, when one falls into sin, similarly, there's just sort of a well, God forgives. God forgives us. You know, he's 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 really nice like that, and he'll forgive us. So that's one characteristic of a counterfeit peace. It's just shallow. And a second characteristic is that it has the wrong goal. Of just. Wanting to to have heaven, but no holiness of life. When you become one who is right with God, you've been justified. You long for righteousness in your life. You quit blaming others. You blame yourself instead. You recognize that your sin caused this. You want to make restitution to others. You long for, for holiness in your life. You seek to please the one with whom you have become friends, God now, because of the work of Christ. You seek to please the one with whom you're at peace. And we deeply need this true peace, this rightness with God. Not just a counterfeit peace, not just an inner peace. And when we get this, it really affects our lives. It gives us great joy. It allows us to relax. And be less nervous and less fearful. And the reality is if we don't let this peace with God, again, not the peace of God, but the peace with God, if we don't let that sink in, it's because at the end of the day we don't really believe God. We don't really believe that the work of Christ does all that it's supposed to do. We still believe that my performance is the big issue here, and when when that's the 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 way our mind works, is that peace with God is based on my performance, then you're always going to be anxious, you're always going to be fearful, you're never going to be secure in your relationship with the Lord. You're always going to question whether or not God likes you. If it's based on your if you, you base your standing before God on your performance. Peace with God is done through the work of Christ. And it gives us great joy and and it gives you just assurance. You don't have to wait until, you you know, you step past the pearly gates to be confident in your standing before God when you're resting in the work of Christ. You don't have to go through purgatory. We don't have to focus on how we perform. And and again, I'm just convinced, convinced that most lack of assurance goes Back to this idea of being focused on my performance rather than the work of Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, not only is the benefit um, peace with God, but access to God. Verse two, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand as Christians before God. We have the blessing of God's grace that that we now enjoy. And this grace that's being spoken of here is this justification. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace or into this justification in which we stand. Many commentaries um, note that um, the word obtained here is really not the best word that a better word would be introduction because the word obtained might imply that we sort of take the initiative and bring this about when that's not the case at all introduction that word um, acknowledges that we have a need for someone else to to bring us um in and someone else to to bring us to to god or to 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 someone else we, we can only again um, develop a personal relationship with a, a higher up a very important person of some sort if someone introduces us maybe you saw I think it was last week um, of course Taylor everybody knows uh, uh, that Taylor Swift is now in the NFL football because she's dating uh, some Kansas City Chiefs player <coughs> and um, and the Chiefs player his brother is uh, plays for the Philadelphia Eagles and their names are Kels or Kelsey, something like that. I'm not a fan of NFL football, so uh, anyway. But uh, um, everybody's into NFL football now. All the Swifties are now, I guess, into NFL football because of, because of Taylor Swift dating this guy. And so uh, apparently at last week's game, um, the Chiefs game, the brother of the Chiefs player, the Philadelphia Eagles player, um, was in the, the booth, you know, the box um, where Taylor Swift and other VIPs were sitting. And so this guy, apparently, the brother, there was a little girl that was down here that just kind of kept looking at Taylor Swift the whole time. And so apparently he eventually reached down, kind of into the stadium from the box seat, <coughs> grabbed the little girl, brought her up, so she could be, you know, meet Taylor Swift. You know, that's, that's the only way she's going to get a chance to hang out a little bit with Taylor Swift. And it reminded us, that's what we have. In spades, because we have access to God through the work of Christ. And we can only have that personal relationship with the Lord if someone introduces us. And with God, we're ushered into the royal throne room through Christ. We're adopted, then, children of the King. We go from being children of wrath to children of the King you know, there are millions of children around the world, uh, who are living in poverty. Uh, A bunch of years ago, I was able to go to Manila in the Philippines and got a tour of a garbage dump where a bunch of people lived. And so there were these children, they they lived actually kind of on the old garbage dump uh, and on the edges of, of the newer garbage dump. Um, but when they were no longer filling this one big pile of garbage, then people lived on top of it. And, um, so I, I was able to see that and saw the children living there. And, you know, think about if you were a child there and then you were adopted by the king of the Philippines. Which I think maybe is a a woman at the moment. But I I said king, the president of the Philippines. Um, Think about the access that you would have. From living in a garbage dump to living in a palace. You'd have, you'd be able to stroll unannounced into the president's presence. You could have all the food you would want. Good food. You'd, have, you'd, be, you'd be friends with other president's kids. That's the way it is for us in Christ. We have access. We have this friendship now with God. And that, again, it should make us less timid. It should make us less fearful. Because since it's the work of Christ that's on you and not your own performance... You don't then fall into favor and out of favor with God. The work of Christ is on us perpetually. Again, if you just trust in your performance, you can never do enough. But Jesus has done it all. You know, it would be a sin for you and me not to lay hold of that access that we have, not to take advantage of that relationship, to neglect the friendship prayerlessness, not time, spending time in the Word of God, some of these spiritual disciplines that Jacob was talking about earlier. It would be a sin not to believe deep down that you have access, because not to believe that deep down is to essentially be saying to the Lord, no, nah, it's probably not real. You didn't really do enough. It's keeping your eyes on yourself and your performance. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And then finally, the third and final benefit, hope of God. Hope of God. When I say hope of God, I'm talking about expectation to see God, to be like God, to to be with the Lord. Verse 2 again. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of of God. Now, just a reminder of what hope is biblically. Biblically, hope is not something that you wish to come about. You're not sure if it's going to happen. You hope that it does. No, that's not biblical hope. That's modern day definition of hope. Biblically, hope is something that will happen. It's an expectation. It just hasn't happened yet. It's still out in front of us. And the reason I think that this hope comes third here, the hope of God, again, expectation to see God and be with God, be made like God. I think the reason why it become, it's listed third here is because we experience, the more we experience peace with God and access that relationship with God, the more we want to be with God. And if, if you and I are not hoping for heaven, if we're not looking forward and have confidence that we will see god face to face then again we're just we're thinking about ourselves and and our and our performance and therefore we naturally should be anxious now, i know some of you have a very tender conscience and and so i have been stepping on your toes because you're anxious you're timid you're fearful when you think about your relationship with the lord you feel like, well, I, I, you, know, you, just have, you just lack that assurance and confidence before God. And I'm trying to hit you over the head with a two-by-four about what you have in Christ. But there's another extreme, and that's to be flippant and irreverent and presumptive about our relationship with the Lord. I mean, both of those extremes are improper. Improper. We should have a joyful, confident, healthy fear of the Lord. And yet again, it's joyful and confident because of the work of Christ. Because of that work of Christ, we have peace with God. We have access to God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know, now we have just a foretaste of this. On this side of heaven... You know, we, we've just had our appetites wetted. That's all. But one day it will be complete. And our final hymn that we're going to sing, the last hymn, is this. Finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these amazing, wonderful blessings, benefits, consequences of our justification that we have by faith through the work of Christ. Make us thankful, confident, joyful people in this great blessing that we have through Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.